Hello, and welcome to the LYF podcast. This podcast is provided to you by the Love Yourself Foundation, which is an organization here spreading the message of love and more specifically self-love and the powerful ripple effect that has not only in building a better relationship with yourself, but also with your community and with our beautiful planet. We're here to tell you that we're all one. All living beings are connected to each other, to the universe. So we're going to be talking about important topics like mental health, environmental issues, and tying it all back into the self and ways that you can not only empower your relationship with yourself, but also empower your relationship with your community and with our beautiful planet. So if you like what you hear, please hit subscribe. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at the LY Foundation. You can also check out our website at the lyfoundation.org. And we have a very special new addition to what we're doing. We now have a membership program called the Lifeline Membership Program, which offers support calls, group support calls, free admission to our events, workshops, specialized merch. So we also have special discounts going for students, teachers, frontline workers. So if you want to hear more about this, please go to our website at the LY Foundation slash membership for more info. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the LYF podcast. Monica here. Um, And today I am actually going solo for this episode. Um, I haven't done this in a long time. And I just felt very called to do it, Um, especially as you know, we're talking about this month at LYF, the theme of embodiment. And what does that really mean when it comes to our relationship with the planet? Yeah, you know, one of our beloved interns, uh, Ayla, um, she is our she is our sound engineer, pretty much doing our editing for all of our podcast episodes. And she brought it to my attention. She's like, you know, we should start talking more also about the environment. And that's what really inspired me to do that today, um, to start bridging the gap, because um, as some of you may or may not know, Um, The mission with the Love Yourself Foundation is all about bridging human healing to the healing of communities to the healing of the planet. So the idea that we're proposing is that by one, taking more accountability of one's well-being, that it allows for the capacity to be a more active member of society, positive influence, and therefore also um, bridging a deeper connection with the planet. And as some of you may, may not know too, um, this all came, came to be when I went through my own mental health journey. Um, I was, I've, I, I, I studied environmental studies in college and I also majored in sociology. And what I was, I was fascinated at the connection of humanity with the physical environment, and how, you know, it goes hand in hand. Uh, you know, humans, we are animals of this planet. We are a species of this planet. And therefore, we are of nature and have a relationship with it. Even though since the Industrial Revolution, the story of separation um, of us versus the environment is is really what what's taken over. And in my opinion, is what's gotten us into such a deep uh, mess, environmentally speaking. I feel like to a certain level, uh, we have forgotten our place in this planet. And as such, uh, we, I feel 
that humanity is going through some sort of identity crisis. And that's why our, our healing is so important because that can translate to one person having an identity crisis within their own life, their place in this world. And what that, what does that mean on an ecological level too? Um, and so a few years ago, I also, I, I came across this environmentalist um, author. Um, his name is Charles Eisenstein. And he captivated me because he was pretty much translating what I was feeling, what I was seeing, what I was observing and studying. And he put it so eloquently in his work that he does. He is pretty much an advocate for healing um, on all levels, from the human level to the community level to the planetary level. So when I found him, I was like, whoa, like this is exactly what I'm seeing, you know, what I'm and it really validated me um, and my own uh, understanding of the world and the issues that I saw and was, again, it helped me to just see, wow, like I'm, I'm not alone um, in feeling this, that the again, that the healing is much deeper than what meets the eye even, right? Um, so you know what, for today, I thought it would be neat to read a little bit um, from his book um, that he has. It's called Climate, A New Story. Um, and in this book, he, he really dives into all of this. Um, and it, it's very compelling. It's a great read. So I'm going to read a little bit of it. Um, and then I'm going to just talk about some additional thoughts with it. And then I'm going to end it with a nice little poem to, to help us all feel like, you know what, that we do matter, um, that humanity does have a place on this planet. Um, and that as we embody more of who we are, that helps in our uncovering of our own purpose in this life. Um, and on a bigger level, it helps us to find again our place within Mother Nature and remember that, you know, we are children of Earth. Um, and again, whatever your belief system is, I mean, I think we can all agree that we are all of nature. We are we are beings of this Earth. So. I hope that you all, um, you know, hopefully some of this resonates or, you know, enhances your your thoughts on it. And I'd always love to hear back to on on people's thoughts with it. So like I said, I'm going to read a little bit um, from the book, um, Climate, A New Story, and then I'm going to talk a little bit more about it. So. All right. So this is chapter one, a crisis of being a lost truth. I still remember the event that made me into an environmentalist. I was seven or eight years old, standing outside with my father, watching a large flock of starling, starlings fly past. That's a big flock of birds, I said. My father told me then about the passenger pigeon, whose flocks once filled the skies so vast that they stretched from horizon to horizon for hours on end. They're extinct now, he told me. People would just point their guns to the sky and shoot randomly, and the pigeons would fall. Now there aren't any left. I'd known about the dinosaurs before then, but that was the first time I really understood the meaning of the word extinct. I cried in my bed that night and many nights thereafter. That was when I still knew how to cry, a capacity that once extinguished through the brutality of teenage boyhood in the 1980s. 
was nearly as hard to resuscitate as it would be to bring the passenger pigeon back to earth. These two kinds of extinctions are related. From what, from what state of being do we extinguish other species, ruin earth and sea, and treat nature as a collection of resources to be allocated for maximum short-term benefit? It can come only from the constriction, numbing, and diversion of our capacity to feel empathy and love. No mere personal feeling, this numbing is inseparable from the deep narrative, narratives that run our civilization and the social systems that those narrati narratives support. Appearances to the contrary, it is neither folly nor uh, myopia that sets us on a path of collective ruin. These are symptoms of a deeper malady. Would you say of the alcoholic that if he were only shown that drinking harms his health, relationships, and economic security, then, th then his dismal future would scare him into quitting? Of course not. The foolish sacrifice of the future for a temporary surcease from the inner pain isn't driven by stupidity. Therefore, you can herring, herring him about the damage to his liver all you want. And maybe he'll say, yeah, you're right, and cut back for a few weeks. Or he will promise to drink less with every good intention, but nothing will really change. How similar that scenario is to the climate talks. We agree to cut back and agree at the same time to ignore the social and economic conditions that make cutting back impossible. Carbon emissions continue to grow after nearly three decades of climate talks and agreements. This pattern extends beyond the matters of climate. Species continue to perish, bat, bat colonies and beehives to collapse, forests to wither, coral reefs to bleach, and elephants and whales to die. No one wants to live on a barren planet, a sick planet, or a dying planet. Yet, like an addict, we seem helpless to change course. Like many cliches, our addiction to fossil fuels contains a lost truth. Usually, I hear the phrase used in tones of condemnation or disgust, betraying the same lack of empathy that is part of the problem. But if we take the addiction metaphor seriously, we would next inquire as to what drives this addiction. Some on the left say it's capitalism, yet the Soviet Union committed grievance environmental damage as well. Capitalism, like communism, is itself embedded in more fundamental belief systems that are largely beneath the surface of our awareness. It is these that I intend to excavate in this book, hoping therefrom to de derive per percepts and strategies for ecological healing. I will describe how many of the efforts to fight climate change or save the environment are based on the same assumptions that drive us toward ruin. I will identify fundamental problems and what I'll call the standard narrative of climate change and show how the framing of the problem is part of the problem. I will explain how solutions that come from the narrative risk making things worse. The maze thus revealed, I'll explore the dark passageways and secret doorways that the dominant discourse ignores, but that an alternative story of the world illuminates. It is not wrong ideas that drive addiction. Addiction arises in the presence of basic unmet needs. The food addict isn't really hungry for food. She is hungry for connection. The, al the alcoholic is seeking just to feel okay for a while. The gambler yearns for liberation from economic or psychological confinement. 
the porn addict's true desires for intimacy and acceptance. These admittedly trivialized examples at least convey a general principle. Desire comes from unmet needs. When the true object of the desire is unavailable, the desire is displaced onto the most accessible substitute. What is the unmet need behind the addiction to fossil fuels? In addiction theory, there is a concept of addiction transfer. When the addict is forcibly deprived of the object of her addiction, she will transfer the addiction onto something else. Recipients of bear trick surgery who can no longer overeat might start drinking or gambling instead. Overeating, drinking, and gambling are symptoms of a deeper wound. Similarly, I will argue the current environmentalist obsession with fossil fuels is also too narrow. Conceivably, we could find another fuel source and maintain the addiction to a system of economics and production that consumes the world. What is it that we are really looking for on our quest for bigger, faster, and more? Later chapters on energy and agriculture make it clear that humanity's problems do not stem from any quantitative, quantitative lack. Hunger, for instance, is nearly always a result of maldistribution. We seek through growth to meet other needs, needs that because they are fundamental, fundamentally qualitative, growth can never meet. Basic human desires for connection, community, beauty, sacredness, and intimacy are met with faux substitutes that temporarily numb but ultimately heighten for longing. The trauma of our depri de deprivation drives our collective addictions. Ecological heal healing, therefore, requires our society to look beneath its consumptive symptoms and reorient toward qualitative development. To do so requires significant reprogramming since our guiding narratives from economic to scientific embody quantitative thinking. Ecological deterioration is but one aspect of initiation ordeal propelling civilization into a new story, a next mythology. By mythology, I mean the narratives from which we, were, we weave our understanding of who we are, what is real, what is possible, why we're here, how change happens, what is important, how to live life, how the world came to be, what is, and what ought to come next. Ecological degradation is, inevit is an, an inevitable consequence of the mythology, I call it the story of separation, that has dominated the last several centuries and to an extent the last several millennia. To paraphrase Einstein, it will not be adverted from within that mythology. The essence of the story of separation is the separate self in a world of other. Since I am separate from you, your well-being need not affect mine. In fact, cast into an objective external universe, more for you is less for me. Naturally, then, we are in competition with each other. If I can win the competition and dominate you, I'll be better off and you worse. The same goes for humanity generally and vice versa, nature. The more control we can exercise over the impersonal forces of nature, the better off we will be. The more intelligence we can impose upon a random, purposeless universe, the better the world will be. Our destiny then is to ascend beyond nature's, nature's original limits to become its lords and masters. The universe, this story says, is but atoms and void, possessing none of the qualities of self that we experience as human beings intelligence, purpose, sentience, agency, and consciousness. 
It is up to us then to bring these qualities to the dead building blocks of the universe, its generic part per particles and impersonal forces to imprint human intelligence into the inanimate world. The story of separation reverberates through every institution of the modern world. And other books have described how it underlies money, law, medicine, science, technology, education, and etc., and how these institutions might evolve under a different story. This book also aims to describe, and I hope, accelerate the transition to a new and in many ways ancient story with specific reference to climate change and the environmental crisis generally. A shift in mythology is more than a cognitive shift. In this book, I will argue that the external changes we face are far more profound than merely switching industrial society to a zero carbon fuel stock. Every aspect of society, the economy, and the political system must come into alignment with a new story. The name I like to use for the new story is the term interbeing. Although the world has Buddhist overturns, I do not, the word has Buddhist overturns, I do not profess to be a Buddhist, nor need the reader embrace Buddhism to appreciate the insights the concept allows. Interbeing doesn't go as far as to say we're all one but it does release the rigid boundaries of the discrete separate self to say that existence is relational. Who I am depends on who you are. The world is part of me just as I am part of it. What happens to the world in, in some ways hap is happening to me. The state of the cultural climate or political climate affects the condition of the geoclimate. When one thing changes, everything else must change too. The qualities of a self sentient agency purpose and experience of being are not confined to humans alone and there's the results of our actions will come back to affect ourselves inescapably interbeing must be more than a philosophical concept if anything is going to change it must be a way of seeing a way of being a strategic principle and most of all a felt reality Philosophical arguments alone will not will not establish it any more than appeals to produce to, to prudence and reason will solve the ecological crisis. When we restore the internal ecosystem, the fullness of our capacity to feel and to love, only then will there be hope of restoring the outer. Each level of healing proceeds space apace, just as each from extinction mirrors the rest. That is not to suggest we withdraw from outer activism in favor of inner cultivation. It is that the love and empathy are felt dimensions of the story of inner being, and we cannot act effectively from that story nor truly serve it without their guidance. They are the song that will lead us out of the maze. To follow their guidance, we must regain our listening capacity, with tra which trauma and ideology have numbed and restricted to every narrow bandwidth. Then we will know how to change the systems that reify separation by severing our ties to community, plants, animals, land, and life, and replacing those ties with the technology-mediated, money-mediated, generic relationships of mass society. Thus, Bereth, no wonder we always hunger for more. Love is the expansion of self to include another. And love, your well-being is, is inseparable from my own. Your pain grieves me and your happiness gives me joy. The ideology of modernity circumscribes the scope of our love by assigning a narrow identity to the self and relegating the non-self to the status of mute, insentient, 
objects of self-interested competitors to care about others beyond their utility to oneself becomes therefore something of a delusional delusion like loving your pet brick Perhaps that is why so much environmental rhetoric comes in the form of warnings that bad things will happen to us if we don't change our ways. We call arguments rational when they appeal to self-interest. This book will argue that rational reasons are not enough, that the ecological crisis is asking for a revolution of love for the discreet and separate self in a world of other. Love is irrational steeped in the logic of separation the mind is ever to conflict with the heart not so in the logic of inner being which recognizes that what happens to the other to the in incarcerate incarcerated to the bomb to the traffic to the clear cut to the polluted and to the extinguished is happening in some sense to the self as well and the story of inner being heart and mind are reunited and love is what the truth feels like if love is truth, then the source of our apparent myopia is clear. It is love benumbed. We do not see what, what we devalue and destroy as part of ourselves. We do not see that we aren't merely conditional, dependent on the oceans, rainforests, and every living system on earth for survival. That something more important than survival is at stake. It is our humanity. It is our full beingness, love benumbed. We believe that we can inflict damage without suffering damage ourselves. Of course, I would not write a book that were just a vague promise that love will save the world. How do we enact it systematically? How do we overcome what blocks it? How do we awaken our benumbed empathy? How do we translate the diagnosis of I've offered into practical action on the level of politics and ecological healing? These questions are the subject of this book. And I think I'm going to stop there for today. Um. It was wonderful reading that. It's been a while. I read this book some years ago um, and it really, again, like helped me to make sense of what I was observing and, and, and understanding yet again, right? Like the deeper connection of one's healing to the greater planet um, in our communities, the, the, the ripple that, you know, we truly are connected. And I mean, I'm sure I mean, we've talked about it on here a bunch, but obviously we just think about, you know, this past year and the impact the pandemic has had on all of us. We realize how connected we are, like the whole entire world is dealing with this global pandemic and we've all had to adjust and we've all had to adapt. And if any if anybody ever questioned it before, it's apparent how connected we are Um and and how important it is to work together especially in these times so yeah that that was uh man that that fired me up so so i think you know i'm gonna from time to time read from this if people like it and just enhance on his story on his book um, again he charles eisenstein is the author his last name is spelt E-I-S-E-N-S-T-E-I-N. -S -S -E -E he has videos and a bunch of other um, essays out there too, other books as well. So I see him honestly as a modern environmental leader hero. I look up to him a lot. Um, but I did, you know, want to expand a little bit on like, you know, even how he's talking about like what are, and, you know, the book expands it more, more and we'll get to it. But what are some tangible things that we can do now, right, to improve 
our relationship with the planet to begin to embody um, more of that connection with it. Uh, maybe you're really new to how, do, how can I take care better of the planet? And, you know, even though it seems really small, you can start simply by switching to reusable products. You know, a plastic bottle um, consumes so much energy. It's wild. And what's so sad is the majority of these plastic bottles make it into landfills. They don't make it into recycling bins. They make it into our oceans. And thus, you know, we have this plastic epidemic too um, throughout the whole throughout the whole planet. Um, and as some of y'all know, when I was in college, I started a campaign called Take Back the Tap, which was aimed to reduce the bottled water, um, the bottled water at the university level. And we worked on getting more hydration stations for UNLV. And it was such it was such meaningful work for me because it just showed like how small, like just switching, right? Like just switching to a reusable bottle has such an impact. Like there is just so much, so many fossil fuels in, 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 uh, in creating just a bottle. And so if we can just eliminate that, um, why not? Right. And there's so many out there now. I mean, you have hydro flasks, which are a bit of an investment, but they last so long. One of my best friends, she bought me that my hydro flask, like I want to say five years ago and it's still with me. Um, I love it. And it's so great because you can just put stickers all over it. <laughs> and of course, you know, there's a time and place. Um, sometimes, of course, maybe you're, you only have access to a water bottle. Then, of course, you, you know, you need to drink water. But for whatever, if you can switch, that's such a tangible habit shift to 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 do. Um, and then on a bigger scale with the planet, um, these are some top actionable recommendations that Charles um, proposes. And one is to protect any natural area that's left on the planet, because those are the areas where Earth is still in her rawness, right? So that goes from like the Amazon rainforest to the Congo to wetlands, you know, to any natural lands that you have in your state or wherever you are in the world. Um, I guarantee you there's an environmental protection group wherever you are. Um, if you're here in Nevada, a great group is um, Get Outdoors Nevada. They do a bunch with natural resources um, and they also help kids um go into natural lands to discover it um and yeah there's just there's just so much and of course sierra club is a very popular nonprofit that's been around for a long time they have chapters all around the world um or at least all around the united states there might be some international office is and they do so much too to protect our land so you know if that is um calling to you or even if like just you, if you see an area around your where you live and it's dirty, just pick it, you know, help clean up your natural areas. You know, um, if you're on a hike and you see some trash, like pick it up, you know, and and then just throw it away later, recycle it later, wash your hands. It's OK after, you know. Um, so, yeah. And um, other recommendations that Charles proposes is to regenerate and heal nature and biodiversity. And I know that sometimes it can be very daunting when we see lands that have been destroyed, but again, mother earth, nature is so powerful. And just with some extra love and attention, uh, so much rebirth can happen 
Um, I saw it with the huge fires that were happening in Australia last year and the end of 2019. So much of those areas that were destroyed, there was a bunch of new plants growing just last year already. So, um, so it's, it's just our faith and and uh, regeneration is is essential. Another recommendation that he has is to stop poisoning earth with pesticides. So anytime you can use pest uh, herbicide or any natural form of relieving pests, do that, you know, and then there's, there's really, it's really fun to some plants are natural pesticides, um, if, depending if you plant them next to each other too. So yeah, there's, there's that. And then of course, last but not least is to cut greenhouse gas emissions. But like he was saying already in what I read, um, this issue with climate change, the climate crisis is much deeper, right? Than um, oh, we need to. It's definitely important to cut down our emissions, but it's remembering what is your place on this planet. Remembering that you are here, and whatever positive affect you can do, it does matter because there is a powerful, powerful, powerful ripple effect to your actions. Whether and if we we bring it back to humans, right? the power of a smile on what that has to another person is astronomical because you just don't know what people are going through. So imagine if we translate that to a positive um, action to earth, whether that's um, cleaning up an area or helping plant some trees, that's such an act of kindness to Mama Gaia. So, you know, it, it, it does matter. Um, it certainly does matter. And uh, so, yeah, before I finish, I wanted to read this poem that really helped me when I was like going through my existential crisis some years ago and um, going through a depression and trying to understand what was my place in the world. You know, like at that point I had hit a wall um, because, you know, since I was a kid, I was this environmentalist. And then when I hit 27, uh, 26, 27, I was just confronted with all this inner turmoil that I needed to look at and heal. And through that, just rediscovering my purpose and my place um, and remembering that um, just like I want to care for others, I first got to care for me too. Right. And if I'm, it's just, it's interesting. A lot of people are in the state of what I see the planet to be too, like just overextending, overgiving. And I feel like that's what our poor mother earth has been doing for far too long. And that's why we're in all these, we're in this crisis mode with the environment, but just like we can heal on a individual level, so can earth. So, you know, our belief in that is so essential and remembering again, that what you do to yourself, all the kindness you can give to yourself and filling your cup to then be able to give to others and give to earth. It matters. It truly matters. So anyway, so I'm going to read this poem uh, again, that helped me to realize my place in this universe. And I hope it does the same for you. So the author is Max, uh, Airman. The title is Desiderata. And uh, here we go. Go placidly amid the noise and haste, and remember what peace there might be in silence. As far as possible without surrender, be on good terms with all persons. Speak your truth quietly and clearly, and listen to others. Even the dull and the ignorant, they too have their story. Avoid loud and aggressive persons. They are vexatious to the spirit. 
if you compare yourself with others, you may become vain and bitter. For always there will be greater and lesser persons than yourself. Enjoy your achievements as well as your plans. Keep interested in your own career, however humble. It is a real possession in the changing fortunes of time. Exercise caution in your business affairs, for the world is full of trickery. But let this not blind you to what virtue there is. Many persons strive for high ideals, and everywhere life is and everywhere life is full of heroism. Be yourself, especially do not feign affection. Neither be cynical about love, for in the face of all aridity and disenchantment, it is, it is a per, as perennial as the grass. Take kindly the counsel of the years, gracefully surrendering the things of youth. Nurture strength of spirit to shield you in sudden misfortune, but do not distress yourself with dark imaginings. Many fears are born of fatigue and loneliness beyond a wholesome discipline. Be gentle with yourself. You are a child of the universe, no less than the trees and the stars. You have a right to be here. And whether or not it is clear to you, no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should. Therefore, be at peace with God, whatever you conceive him to be. And whatever your labors and aspirations and the noisy confusion of life, keep peace with your soul. With all its sham, drudgery, and broken dreams, it is still a beautiful world. Be cheerful, be cheerful and strive to be happy. And with that, I say goodbye. <laughs> I hope that you enjoyed this. I enjoyed doing this. So it's definitely we'll do more of it. Um, and uh, yeah, so thank you all for your continued love and support for what here at LYF we're doing. Um, I'm so grateful just to see how we're growing and just our outreach, how much it's growing. So just again, thank you for joining us in this ride. Um, please leave us a review, subscribe to us. Um, we're on all things where you can find podcasts. Um, and yeah, just thank you again. Until next time.